My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 8 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. I accept sickness, weakness, exhaustion, pain and despair as part of running long distance challenges. And actually, once you've put in place the right running training, these things are essentially what endurance events are about. The words of Paul Callahan, everybody, who has just completed the 200km 52 mountain peak Wicklow Round back-to-back challenge. And in this week's show, we're very lucky to talk to Paul about where the strength comes from and what training is needed to complete that incredible physical challenge. Everybody, get your running gear on. Let's go. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 8 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Great to have you with us again. Rene Guys is away this week so we've also got another special guest in Jason Kyo later on in the show. Jason Kyo is a Irish mountain running champion. He's represented Ireland and he's just recently completed the hat-trick of wins in the Carantuhal Imre so he's in great form and what Jason is going to talk to us about later on is that when injury strikes who exactly should you go and see and what the best treatment options are how long that treatment should take different alternatives and different ways of getting back to fitness as soon as possible Jason is a great guy to talk to he's a neuromuscular physical therapist and he has a great insight into running training and especially running issues as well he's based over in Belgard Heights in Tala so um, great to have him on the show later on we've got Simon coming up shortly with all the race news as well there was a great weekend's racing about two weeks ago and um, great to see all the Imra events back up and running and before we go to Simon a big shout out as always to our show sponsor Eco Trail on the 26th of September they have a great selection of races to look forward to it's not all about the long distances in ultra trail running um, 80k of course is available that weekend but it's also great to start off on some of the shorter race distances as well 18k there's a 29k a 45k and eventually over time building up to the 80k and the longer race options so you've got a great selection of races there on the 26th of september for the eco trail wicklow race so without further ado let's call in our man on the ground down in county kerry simon kelly for all the race news Simon Kelly from the Waterfall Trail Running Festival. Simon, good to have you on board again. How's it going, mate? Hey, Owen. Yeah, things are good. Listen, we're getting a little bit of movement back. It's all going live and we can be outdoors again. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, internationally, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty regarding some of the big races. But we had some real racing there last weekend and some great racing as well, Simon. Tell us about it. Absolutely. I mean, as we predicted and spoke about and as we saw, everything is selling out. Anyone who has a pair of runners wants to get out and hit those trails. So one thing to open up with, keeping on the Wicklow round. We spoke last time about Paul O'Callaghan taking on the double Wicklow round. So back to back double Wicklow rounds in 48 hours. So I'm just 
delighted to say that he was successful. And I know that you have Paul on the show this week. So can't wait to hear so much more about the double round and also his life in running. Yeah, an incredible run. Yeah, I know he's a good friend of your assignment as well. And with a bit of luck, we'll have him on later on in the show where we'll get the detail of that incredible double um, achievement that he did. The first person um, ever to achieve it. So looking forward to hearing um, all the details of that from Paul later on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the Wicklow round is still, it captures the imagination of the summer, absolutely. And this weekend, starting at 2 a.m. on Friday, Daniela Lubiskova and Philip O'Connell are making an attempt at the round. So all the best to them. And uh, hopefully on the next show, we'll be updating to add a couple more names to the list of the completers. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to hearing how they get on. And Simon, tell us um, about the races that went on there last weekend, because there were some incredible performances. And one of note was the Irish international runner, Zach Hanna who destroyed the field and got very, very close to the race record as well. I mean, Zach's performance, so he really turned on the class. He finished a whopping 8 minutes and 10 seconds ahead of Luke McMullen. Um, and that's, to put in perspective, a winning time of 49 minutes and 35 seconds. To be 8 minutes clear is just, it's incredible. It's an outstanding performance. And Lugna Quilla, not an easy run, not one of the soft races on the Emirate calendar you'd want to be stepping in first time off. So amazing results. And Kira largely finished as the first lady in another really strong time, one hour, eight minutes and 31 seconds. So some really top class racing going on down there. Um, there was more action and huge excitement as well um, down here in Kerry. So the Reek Skyline took place on Saturday, the 18th of July. All reports was, as predicted, really tough course. They had a pre-entry screening process because it was known that this was going to test the hardest runners out there. Brian Mullins took the victory in three hours and 51 minutes and 21 seconds and set a new course record in what was the second edition of the event. But it really shows over 24 kilometres, a winner coming home in three hours and 51 minutes. It really tells you how tough that 2,400 metres of vertical is, it's not to be sneezed at. Mairead yeah. O'Keefe was the first of the ladies and she came back in 6 hours, 23 minutes and 20 seconds. So again, a tough, long day out in the hills for a really, really well-deserved victory. Nah, brilliant. And great to see all these people. They, they kept fit and they kept strong despite the, the lockdown earlier on in the year. And I must mention as well, Simon, my uh, my club buddies from Rathfarnham um, who did a second, third and fourth in the Luke Naquilla race that we were talking about with Zach. Um, Luke McMullen, Dave Power and Brian Fury got the next three positions after Zach. So great to see the, the mountain running tradition from Rathfarnham still going well as well. And I believe, Simon, we had another dub who left the capital and went down south at the weekend. Jason Kyo had a very good win. Oh, listen, there was excitement and fun on the uh, skyline the very next day. Emmer were back out in the reeks with the Carantill Classic. So it's a 15k race up and down Ireland's highest mountains. And the finish was incredible. Absolutely nail-biting. Jason Kyo just held off Conor O'Mahony. By five seconds, people were losing their minds, screaming them in. 
So it's practically a photo finish when you think about a winning time of one hour and 39 minutes and 15 seconds and only five seconds back is the second place. That also puts Jason's time as the fourth fastest winning time since the race was first run in 2015. The ladies' race went close also with the appropriately named Kerry Eager getting the best of Mountain of the Mountain and Mary Louise Ryan in a time of two hours, 11 minutes and 19 seconds. So again, Imra were thrown down the gauntlet. Biggest peaks, highest peaks. They were all on the cards for the weekend. And it was just fantastic to see these results and really, really tough and combative racing happening. Yeah, and I see that Kerry is a local girl as well from down in Kerry. So congratulations to Kerry Eager on taking the win on home ground as well. Because I'm sure it hurt Connor um, not to get the win against Jason. Of course, Connor is from Kerry as well, runs from runs for Reacht AC. So that must have been a tremendous battle. And Imra, they're not sitting on their laurels. The midweek evening races are back as well. And we saw Warren Swords taking the Belmont Little Sugarloaf race in 43 minutes and 34 seconds. And Nicola Sorahan, the first lady, in 51 minutes and 30 seconds. So a nice Wednesday evening, a good sharp race up there. And lovely to see those evenings stretching out and making the most of those hills. And make sure if anybody's listening to check out some of the photographs from the Belmont race as well. It looks absolutely beautiful. And I'll tell you, next time I'll be home, I'll be down there running around the trails of Belmont and Wicklow. Um, anything else on the home front, Simon, before I touch on the international racing scene? Well, no, I mean, we just have some upcoming races and some rescheduled. So the next few races with Imra are Galtimore Moore is going to play, take place on August 1st. There's Fourth Mountain in Wexford on August 2nd and then the Scalp on August 5th. The other news for people to watch out for is there's been three races rescheduled announced. So the Knock Kneel Down Half, which is a very well-liked event in, in the Imra calendar, is now going to be on the 12th of September. The Morris Mullins Half has been rescheduled for the 5th of September. And then the Morris Mullins Ultra is going to be on the 19th of September. So for anyone who has already entered, do check on your emails and that and let the guys know because they are giving refund options up to the end of July. Obviously, the new dates might not suit everyone. And then outside of Imra, we have the Seven Sisters Skyline coming up. Um, that's on the 15th of August. We've got the Kerryway Ultra, obviously, which has the Ultra, the Ultra Night, the Ultra Light, and they're putting in a relay. So that's the weekend of the 4th of September. And then the Dublin Mountain, uh, championships which is going to take place in November on the 27th and 28th of November which has a 25k, a 50k and a 100k option so plenty to look forward to and as I say races are selling out here so if you're thinking about it or get on early and make sure you have a place on the starting line and I know we've got the Eco Trail, Simon, as well on the 26th of September. And I know from talking to the race team behind Eco Trail this week that they are so attentive to the government decision on expanding the maximum 200 limit for outdoor events because a lot of these races will have over 200 and i know with eco trail for example their numbers are very strong they're they're very very healthy you know they'll easily easily go over the 200 and also probably go over the 500 as well and um, quite comfortably so 
it's a big decision for the government to make in terms of sporting events over the coming weeks. And fingers crossed our our COVID numbers will stay low and um, that will give the government green light to expand the numbers for our sporting events. And we can all um, get out and enjoy some some nice, big, healthy and safe races in August and September. Um, and speaking of, you know, big races, Simon, I mean, on an international front, Simon, I'm deliberately not going to mention any races this, this episode because unfortunately it's not as positive as back home. Races are continuing to fall due to COVID-19. Um, there's a lot of races still up in the air as well so let's forget about the international scene for this week and focus just on a brilliant positive news story with an Irish connection over in the Lakelands. Sabrina Verhey um, was the first woman to complete the 214 peaks of the Wainwrights in 6 days 17 hours and 51 minutes and she was only 10 hours behind Irishman Corkman Paul Tierney, who of course set the record in 2019. And I believe, Simon, you have a lovely anecdote about Sabrina's attempt there last weekend. Yeah, I, I was watching with great interest. It's wonderful to see people take on these massive adventure challenges. And uh, what I just filled me full of, you know, happiness and goodwill to be involved in trail running and, and mountain running is. It's very rare that you get such a tight community. And for that attempt, when Sabrina was out, Paul Tierney, first of all, helped her in the prep, talked her through some of the routes, some of the course. But not only that, he went out and ran with her. He went out and supported her to try and help her break his record. And I just think it really, really says so much about trail and mountain running and that community spirit that not only... Do we go out to better ourselves, but we go out to help each other? And it's just such a nice story. And, you know, all credit to Paul. It's fantastic to see that happening. And I'm sure Sarah McCormick would have been close by as well, Simon. Sarah, of course, who we had on the show um, a couple of weeks ago, Irish Mountain Running International. And she is Paul's partner. And the two of them do some great work in the Lakelands with running workshops and running tours and so on as well. And as well, even for, for women runners, it just goes to show, we've seen it a couple of times before, this was another example, that the longer the distance, the smaller the gap gets performance-wise in terms of male and female and there was a bit of talk saying that if it wasn't for the bad weather Sabrina would have been very very close to Paul's record and um, only five people have completed the Wainwrights since the first running in 1985 Paul of course is number one and Sabrina now is third on the list and um, so I have a great week and looking forward to talking to you in the next episode thanks Alan take care and enjoy the trails thanks mate bye bye My name's Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. 
And there we go, guys. We just heard the voices of the Irish mental running team. And Rene is away this week. He's back in his native homeland, Denmark. So we thought nobody better to cover for Rene than Rene's partner in crime and his first athlete that he's coached and that he has been coaching over the, the last couple of years and very successfully to boot as well. Jason Kyo, you're very welcome to the show. Oh, and hi. How are you doing? Good, Jason. Good. And not as good as you, because I believe you're in great form after your hat-trick of wins, your third victory in the Carantuhul Mountain Race there last week, adding to your wins in 2011, 2017, and then this year as well. So you must be in great form. Ah, look, I'm, I'm on a high, to be honest. Uh, it, it was a fantastic uh, weekend, you know, fantastic weekend for Imra because, you know, it's our, as you know, it's our first, uh, our first weekend of racing since the lockdown. So, you know, it was, it was no mean feat to get um, the t- two races down in, in Munster going again and the one that we had up in uh, Lugnaquilla as well. Um, and uh, f- for me personally, it was a bizarre race f- for me. Um, if anybody wants to really get into the nitty gritty, they can read my race report on Imra. Um, but for me, it was, it was bizarre, but absolutely fantastic at the end. And sure, we had the weather to boot as well. Yeah, no, super fair play to Imra for getting all the races back up. Uh, and normally, Jason, as we're saying, we have Rene on this slot, um, giving us coaching and training advice. Uh, and you've had the privilege to work with Rene for, for a long time now. Um, one of his prized um, pupils. And uh, I'm sure you, you very much enjoy working with him. Absolutely, and, and you know, Rene's uh, a very good friend of mine. And I tell you what, every time, uh, every time I, I go to hear Rene speak, I'm act- I'm still mesmerised every time I um, I hear him because he's such a um, an articulate uh, person. Even if he is Danish, we won't hold that against him. Um, <laughs> he, he speaks better English than most of us. Um, he's and his encyclopedic knowledge um, is just uh, it's invaluable as a, as an athlete, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Jason, well, um, one of the reasons why I said that we'd get you on today is because um, you left the day job a number of years ago, the, the typical nine to five office job, and you totally turned your life upside down and set up the JK Therapy Sports and Injury Clinic. Um, you're a neuromuscular physical therapist. And one of the most important things for myself and for the listeners is that we help keep them injury free. And I thought it'd be great to just hook up this week with you to talk to you about when an athlete gets injured. There's so many different choices of different professionals out there and to help them try and make the choice about what professional to go and see and what treatment to look for and to try and be as efficient as possible with their therapy to get them back running as quickly as possible. So maybe just to start off, Jason, if you wanted to give an overview of your own business, your own clinic and what you specialize in. Yeah, so uh, what I specialize in is, as you said, I'm a, I'm a neuromuscular uh, therapist, um, which means basically I specialize in myofascial pain and injury. So myofascial pain is you know anything to do with muscles and the fascia, which you can think of fascia as kind of like our, our Spider-Man suit that we have underneath us. It's um, it's 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 pretty much what's which, which holds us together uh, upright and it helps us with our posture and just moving around. 
Um, so in here in the clinic, um, I, have, uh, I have a hands-on approach and a hands-off approach, meaning that uh, when someone comes in, I'm, I'm primarily looking at uh, the health of the muscles. Um, so when someone comes into me with some type of pain, it's, a, it's about identifying what muscle is uh, causing the pain and treating that muscle and getting it back healthy again. And then the most important part after that then is to discover you know, why that pain occurred in the first place. Now, was it something as simple as a bit of trauma injury? So, you know, they took a, mis a misstep or they had a fall or a crash or a whiplash or, or whatever it is, where well, that's just, you know, pure bad luck. Or is it uh, related to their sport? So, you know, be because we're, we're speaking to a lot of runners um, on your podcast, um, is it primarily due to your running technique? So that's something else which I'm, I, I specialize in that. Um, there's not a lot of people in Ireland doing, doing that. Um, so I usually get people up and I have a look at their, um, their running technique on the treadmill here. So I, I'll usually get them running in their footwear and get them running without their footwear to see what type of um, problems that's causing for them. Um, and then see if I can piece why it is that they're picking up the, those particular injuries um, and you know, and linking it to uh, how their running technique is. So uh, for me, uh, the question is always, you know, why? Why is it that um, a problem is occurring? If you if you keep asking the question, but why? But why? But why? And you keep going back. You know, I've, I've tight. You know, someone told me I have tight glutes. Okay, well, why do you have tight glutes? Well, uh, and eventually they just say, I don't know, because I'm weak. And I'm like, okay, so why are they weak? And they just don't know, you know, so eventually they, they come to like, oh, I don't know. That's just what someone told me. So the, so the most important thing is for an injury is, first of all, get that person out of pain so they can go back to the running, but then discover why it is that, that it happened in the first place and then resolve that. Because we all want to be running for, you know, well, I personally, I want to be running into my 80s. Um, I don't know about you, but... Um, yes. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. That's certainly my plan, not to retire anytime soon, Jason, and to, yeah. to stay healthy and, and to keep on running into the into the, the, the Masters and the Vets categories. Um, what you're talking about there, Jason, it, it sounds so much different to when I say started running back in 2004, 2005. And I remember I got my first bad injury. Um, I think it might have been a, a muscle tear, I think, in the in the shin area, maybe one of the, the, the tibialis. And I went to the physio and he literally just got his elbow and stuck his elbow into that muscle and just kept on rubbing it hard for about 20-25 minutes to break down scar tissue and then said I needed to go back for another maybe three or four sessions to keep on breaking down that scar tissue until the, the muscle healed. What you're describing there seems so much different than that just physical hard-on approach of just breaking down muscle to help it heal. It mm. seems light years away from that. Yeah, well, I mean, like, just like you, when I first started running, you know, things were going great for, for a while, and then uh, all, the, all the injuries started coming in. And then it, 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 it seemed at one stage that I was paying the mortgage installments of my physio. Uh, he, you know, it, it took six, 10, 12 sessions, you know, and I was like, I just thought that was par for the course, you know, I just thought that was the way it was. But it wasn't until uh, a few years later, I read an article in the Irish Times about uh, a therapist um, called Stefano. He's, he's the Irish over 50 um, bodybuilding champion. He's a big Italian guy. And um, I went out to his clinic and um, I think I had a tight calf at the time. I didn't know what it was a tight calf. I just knew I had a pain in my calf because I didn't really know anything about my body, uh, to be honest. Um, and then 
we did one session on it. It was it was moderately painful uh, for the session, uh, but I wasn't you know absolutely hopping off the table. And I said to him, okay, so how many times do I need to come back to you now? You know, six, seven times, or you know, what's what's it going to be? And it's like, oh no, that's it, it's done. And I was like, what do you mean it's done? And he was like, yeah, that's it. It's just you had a tight muscle, you had some trigger points in it, and uh, we released it, and that's it. And I, I was just like, I was kind of dazed walking out. You know, I, I paid him my money and I was kind of like, he doesn't want to see me again. Does he not like me or, you know, what's, what's going on? Because it wasn't what I was used to. And sure enough, like for about a day or two, I couldn't, I couldn't really run on it. But then uh, slowly it started coming around. I'd say by the, by the fourth day, I was, I was, I was good as new. Um, and whenever I had a, a, an injury in, um, in, uh, subsequent to that then I, I always went back to him to get uh, to get fixed because he'd, he'd always nearly fix you in a session maybe two but it was very bad sure. um, so I knew that was that I was onto a winner then yeah um, so uh, uh, and what was involved Jason in releasing those trigger points is it that old-fashioned approach of the elbow going into them or is it something different um, it it's it's it should it's moderate it's it's it, it should be moderately painful, but not so painful that you're wincing or tightening or, or tensing up the muscles because that's too hard. So you know, for, for me, when, when I'm looking for it, I've, I, I have a very cool uh, tool which I picked up recently. Um, it's a, a thermal camera. So I, I, I plugged that into my phone and it, I, it detects heat in the muscles. Um, and, you know, electricians and plumbers use it to detect, you know, overloaded sockets and heat pipes or uh, heating pipes and stuff. But it actually works very well with muscles. So uh, I have a quick look through the camera and, you know, it lights up where, where the muscle has heat in it. So one of the characteristics of a, of a trigger point, a myofascial trigger point, which, which you can think of, uh, of as kind of like a, a tight muscle, is that um, it, it emits heat. And there's a slight sweating on the skin. So I so I'm sort of looking for those type of areas. I get in, I palpate the area, and I'm I'm looking for these little little nodules. And to me, when I when I find them, they they feel like a tiny little ball bearing. Um, and they're sitting in the middle of a of a taut band of muscle. So when I strum across that taut band of muscle, it feels like a guitar string because that little nodule has expanded and it's, it's tightened up on, 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 that, um, on, that, on, that, um, uh, on that muscle. So I'll, I usually get in and I'll palpate the area, find the trigger point, and you know, when you, when, you, when you hit on a trigger point and you put moderate pressure, it hurts. Now, the, the, the one thing that everyone should realize is that if your muscle is healthy, it shouldn't hurt when you put pressure on it. So that's why when, you know, when I go and get a weekly sports massage, my guy here, he's going in like like hell with his elbow, like you're describing there. But I'm absolutely purring on the table because I think it's so pleasurable. It's absolutely amazing, especially if you've had a, a tough week of training. And it's not actually painful. It's actually pleasurable. Right. Wow. So, you know, that's because I, I, I tend to keep my, my muscles in, in, in good condition. But if that was someone who was generally tight, they would be hopping off the table if he was to do a similar pressure. So, yeah. um, so one of the characteristics uh, is that um, when you when you press on a trigger point, it'll hurt, but it'll also refer pain, which is one of the mysterious. Well, not mysterious. We know why it happens, but it's one of the things which which a lot of people can't really understand if you if you if uh, if you if you try to explain to them. So I'll try to explain it um, quite simply. Let's just talk about knee pain for a second. 
So knee pain, when, you, when most people get a runner's knee, they usually feel it kind of on the inside of the knee or below the kneecap or really deep inside the knee. And they think, oh, I've got a problem with my knee. You know, is it, is it a hardware problem? Is, is it the bones? Is it the cartilage? Is it, the, is it the, the cruciate ligament or what is it? Whereas actually it's the trigger points within the muscles of the quad, the quad muscles, so in your, in your, in your, your thigh muscles, they send pain down into the knee. So you think, oh God, I need to get an MRI and need to go find out what's the problem with the knee when actually it's the muscles which are causing you the pain. So the quick solution to, like knee injuries are very easy to solve. You just go in, you palpate for those trigger points, you release them either by using pressure. So I use thumbs, elbows, um, you know, um, fingers, or uh, the, one of the more, more effective ways is uh, dry needling, dry needling, uh, myofascial uh, trigger point needling. So my profession are... are is where dry needling sort of originated from. That's the work of Dr. Travalens and uh, Simons and their amazing book called uh, The Trigger Point Manual. Um, and so if you just release that muscle, then that knee pain, knee pain goes away, right? So that's like, when you explain that to someone, you know, it makes sense to them. And, and when you can demonstrate and you can recreate the pain that they have in the knee, if you're pressing on the right spot, they say, that's it, that's the pain. I can feel it down there in the knee. Even though it could be a good foot away from where you're, where the problem is, you're, and you're pressing yeah. elsewhere. So if you can understand that concept, um, you know everything makes a lot more sense. Um, you know when it comes to muscle injuries. Yeah, no, and a bit like maybe going to A and E, Jason. You should only really go to A and E if you're really, really bad. And maybe we could apply the same philosophy to going to your physio or going to your therapist that you should, re that you should really only go if you're really bad. And I know from talking to, you, talking to you before, you said that sometimes you can actually solve a lot of these problems at home by some soft tissue release. So is there any good tips you could give to the listeners around that, about being at home, you know, just hold off cause, calling your, your physio or your therapist just for a minute and try the soft tissue release at home. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I, I always show my clients is how to do their own soft tissue release themselves, how to find trigger points themselves and how to solve um, um, problems when they, when they come up. Um, so how would you do that? So um, the best way is um, you're going to you need two things. First of all, you need some sort of tools. So you need the likes of your foam roller or a hockey ball or a golf ball. Or I have um, I have uh, another device here, which is, uh, let me try to think of the name, but um, uh, the TerraCane, which is also a great bit of equipment for someone to have. And what you're going to do is you go, uh, the simple thing is you go to Google and you say, okay, um, I've got you, you. So let's just say you've got a pain in in your 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 ankle, right? And you're like, oh god, I think I've done something to my ankle here. What is it? So what you would do is you would say, okay, well, um, I'm going to go to Google. I'm going to type in ankle pain trigger points. So if you type in ankle pain trigger points, you'll go and you'll and you go to Google Images. It'll actually show you the areas in the muscles that can cause ankle pain. That trigger points can. So one of the one of the places, for for example, and I think you mentioned it before, is your peroneal muscles, which yeah. are on the side of the uh, side of um, the side of your leg. So they're long muscles, and they can uh, control the uh, inversion and eversion of the foot. So 
you would go and you would uh, you'd, yeah, you'd look at that image of and where X usually marks the spot or the area you should look in. You get your, uh, for, for that one, you get a golf ball, you get onto the floor, you would um, put your, your, the muscle or your knee on top, of the, on top of the golf ball where that muscle is. And if you're not sure where that muscle is, again, you just look up a simple, you know, a lower leg anatomy picture and you can easily figure it out. Um, and then you put pressure on, right? So there's a protocol I like to use, and I'm, I'm going to do an Instagram post in a few days um, about this and, and put it up for everyone to look at. Um, it's uh, it's the 6-2 protocol, I call it. So basically, you're going to do put pressure on to this. You're going to sort of roll up and down on the muscle, and I want you to find the sorest part in the muscle. And I want you to put pressure onto that muscle or that sore point with the golf ball. So remember, you're pressing your knee down on, onto the golf ball or that muscle onto the golf ball as you're, as you're lying on the ground. Then you're going to build up the pressure to about a 6 out of 10. Now, a 6 out of 10 uh, pressure or pain-wise would be it's, it's sore, but it's before you start tightening up or tensing up and saying, ow, God, I'm hurting myself here. You don't want to go that hard because you'll start tensing that muscle up and then you won't be able to, uh, to, to go as long as you, uh, uh, or you'll, ten you'll tense the muscle up and you won't be able to get in uh, and release it as effectively. So you, you hold that at a six and you just, you, just put, you just hold it and that's it. You don't do anything. You don't roll about. You don't do anything like that. You just hold pressure on it. And you can be there for up to two minutes doing that, you know, 30 seconds, two minutes. And then you'll find that the pain is, starts to subside, even though you're keeping the same amount of pressure on it. And so when it goes way down to about a two, then you put more pressure again on it and you build it back up to a six again. And again, you just wait and then it'll go down to about a two. And then the next bit, which is the most, is the most painful bit, is then you start moving that muscle. So that muscle, you would, for, to move that muscle, you would start um, tapping your foot up and down or doing circles with your ankle. And then, and that'll hurt, this'll hurt. It's probably the most uh, painful part of the whole thing. And you do about 15 or 20 of those little circles and it'll get easier. Um, and then once it gets quite easy, then that's it. It's done. You fixed it. But then the only problem is you could have about 10 or 15 of these spots. So you've only done one of 15 spots. So then you have to go and you, have to, and you just move very, very slightly to find the next spot. And you begin all over again. So up to six, down to a two, up to a six, down to a two, move it. And you just keep, and you keep clearing, cleaning out the muscle. So that could take you 20 minutes. It could take you 40 minutes to do that. It's slow, but it's the most effective thing you can do. And if you code someone like me or someone who's dealing with uh, muscle health, that's pretty much what we're going to do for you when we get you on the bed. It's either that or drawing you. Sure. Okay. And I don't know how easy or difficult this question, Jason, is to answer. But say we have a runner who has a very tense muscle they have a bit of soreness um, we need to do this therapy with them how do they know when t when they can continue running through this tension or when they have to stop and when they need to go and visit you is there a pain threshold number that we should be aware of when we need to say yeah listen I need to stop running here or I can continue running uh, any advice on that yeah. So when when you um, when you're out running or or if you're heading out for a run, you feel oh god, I have a little bit of a niggle there. Yeah. You, I'd say, give it about five minutes, five five maybe ten minutes at a really easy warm up pace. So like you know, old ladies with prams passing you out type of pace, just to see if that kind of gets easier, right? If it doesn't get easier, if it lingers, then just 
call it a day because what's going to happen is you're going to start compensating for that and you're going to start shifting weight away from that uh, that side that you have a problem so if you let's just say you have a problem in your left foot or left calf or whatever it is you start putting more weight to the right side to protect that left side so it's at the end at that stage you need to give it uh, you know you need to uh, stop go home spend that time that you were going to spend for your for uh, for your run on doing your soft tissue release protocol yeah. Right. So go and, you know, Google, Google, you know, where the area that you're having the pain is Google trigger points and the muscle or the pain that you're having or the area of pain and just spend the time doing that for the next day or two. And if you can't do it yourself, if you can't release it yourself after the next two or three days um, then go and see someone um, like me who's going to who's going to go in and investigate for you. Yeah. OK, then call in the Calvary. Well, listen, Jason, that's been a, a great insight into that um, injury topic and how to solve injuries and how to just think outside the box, I think, sometimes as well. It's been brilliant. And if anybody wants to get in touch with Jason, they can get him on his website, jktherapy.ie. Jason is based in Tallinn, Belgard Heights as well, just off exit 10 on the M50 there. He has lots of experience. He's, he's a former Irish mental running champion, Irish international as well and uh, just recently he completed his hat trick down in Karen Tuchel in the Karen Tuchel race Jason it's been a pleasure to have you on the show and good luck with the training and good luck with the business as well oh thanks a million and look I'm a big fan of the podcast I'm listening to all the great runners you're on I'm actually really looking forward to this double round uh, with uh, with round uh, with Paul yeah we have Paul coming up next um, it's a real treat okay alright um, thanks bye bye thanks Jason talk to you soon Time for our feature interview of podcast number eight. I started off this week's podcast with a quote from our special guest. And let me throw another one at you here. I'm a bit of a loner. In the five years I've been running in the mountains, I've only run with someone else 11 times. Spending time alone in the open mountains is at the heart of my running. The wildlife, the vegetation, the landscape, the archaeology, the geology, the local history and of course the weather. I don't talk about running. Most people who I meet don't know I run much and I've only one plaque in my house. But Hazel gets it. That's a quote, guys, from Paul O'Callaghan, who we're just about to talk to and dial in. Paul has just completed the incredible Wicklow Round back-to-back 100-kilometer by two, 200-kilometers, 52-mountain summit challenge. He's the first person to do it. He did it unsupported. Um, He's got some other incredible ultra-distance challenges, successful challenges to his name as well. He's completed the Dennis Rankin Challenge up the north. He's done the Wicklow Round in the summertime and in the wintertime as well, and he chose to do it on the shortest day of the year the winter solstice so he's a man that chooses chooses challenges that are far from easy and he often chooses the most difficult way of doing so but he enjoys it as well and boy does he prepare for them as we're about to hear um, let's dial in the the victor the person the warrior who has completed the wicklow round 200 kilometer back-to-back wicklow round challenge paul O'Callaghan. 
Thank you very much, Alan. Delighted to be on with you there. Yeah, quite surprised that we go for it anyway. Here we are two weeks later after your 100 kilometer, 26 mountains by two <laughs> under the 48 hour limit, over 12,000 meters of elevation gain. And I know from talking to you just before we hit the record button that you said you, you've recovered fantastically well and you were ready to jog, ready, ready to run the following day i know incredible recovery it it surprises me a lot of the time as well because over the years as i progressed through running there has been times where i've been out of action for weeks afterwards and saw every inch of the body and that you know but um over the years and i suppose i fine-tuned and i'm starting to get it right so even though you're out doing long hours doing big stuff the next day there's no soreness in the limbs or the muscles and it's been great you know Bit of nerves are on us on the feet from the shoes and the lacing, but apart from that, the next day I finished on the Sunday morning, had to sleep on the Sunday afternoon, went for a walk with Hazel on Sunday evening, didn't feel great. But um, I went back into work at lunchtime on Monday then and spent the afternoon going up and down stairs and crawling into attics. Incredible. And I suppose I hadn't planned on getting into the details so early in the interview, Paul, but what do you find is the key to that recovery? As we said, you you just completed 200 kilometres, a total of 52 mountain summits uh, and pretty much, you know, just under 48 hours nonstop running. How do you get that recovery so spot on? Is it just that you're so used to long endurance events or do you have any nutrition secrets, any rest secrets? How how is it that your body is able to recover so quickly now? I I think it's what you said there, the key to it is to get your body used to constantly doing that. So that's just the normal for the body, you know, week in, week out. Not obviously those huge volumes, but Anytime I run, it's on that sort of ground. Um, it's always doing summits. And then the nutrition. Yeah, the nutrition is the key to it as well. Um, I don't pay huge attention to calorie. don't actually pay any attention to calorie. <laughs> yeah. God, really, you know. Um, but I try to eat good, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, we read so much about, say, you know, anti-inflammatory foods. I mean, do, do you even bother, you know, when no, that is the one thing that I do. Yeah, that's okay. the one thing okay. that I do. After every single long run, I make a homemade, I have a homemade soup in the van and a stove. I heat that up and I have that while I'm getting changed. So that would have tons of turmeric, ginger, lemongrass, garlic, wow. onions, tomatoes, peppers. And then I load that up with just potatoes, meat and cheese every time. And uh, I really yeah. think that's the key, you know. Yeah, it, it beats any maybe fancy, expensive protein recovery powder. <laughs> I think you're just getting a better all-round nutrition with the natural food, you know. Now, I eat tons of junk food as well. Well, not really, not highly processed junk food, but I love my chocolate and biscuits and cake, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You probably need it. You need the calories, don't you? And the sugar and the energy to be able to get through two full days of running. Yeah, well, I've spent quite a few years now tinkering around with fat adaptation as well. And I think I have that fairly on the ball at the moment as well. Okay. It seems okay. Good, you know, so I wouldn't have that much of a calorie intake. Ah, fair enough. Yeah. So I mean, while you're while you're running such events like the Wicklow Round, you're not popping gels like say you know your typical road marathon runners will be popping a gel every half an hour, forty minutes. Um, are you more on the fat so? 
I would. Now, when I'd be in Jordan training, I'd go out all day. I might do height of training, 14 hour day before having breakfast, basically, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, incredible. So, so uh, as you said, nothing Jordan today is run either, you know. Wow. So just as you said, after years and years of doing that, your your body has just become fat adapted, and I, I, that's probably one of the key reasons why you're you're not inflamed after these big long efforts as well. Um, it's just pure healthy foods that are that are in your body. I if think any, so. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that would be my daily sort of like nutrition wise I get up every morning I have a fry every single morning of the week you know <laughs> yeah 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 and yeah. I go to work might have a salad in the day and then have a few potatoes with me normal dinner or whatever you know in the evening time so it's fairly simple yeah so so no rocket science at all no rocket no, science no it's really as back yeah. to basics like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know one of the other things, Paul, that we that we spoke about during the week was when we were just having our pre-chat. Um, I, I was asking you about, you know, what maybe you, you listen to or on on your earphones, music, radio, podcasts, <laughs> while you're out doing these eight-hour sessions or even when you're running the, the Wicklow round, for example. And you said to me that you don't bring anything with you at all. No earphones with you. Um, so say when you're going on your eight-hour runs, that you said you have one plan for tomorrow, for example, or even when you are doing the Wicklow round, what is it that goes through your mind? Or if anything, are you just focused on getting through the, the next mile, getting to the next summit, or are, are you actually concentrating, say, on your maps, on your getting your navigation right? What yeah. what is it? What is it that goes through that goes through your head as you're doing these incredible long runs and long sessions? A lot of it would be just as you say, getting the maps and notes right and paying attention to it. There's so much going on around you all the time. I think the fact that I I try to concentrate on open mountain and be only on a trail if I had to be on a trail. So you are actually paying attention to everything every minute of the time. You know, you're taking everything in, and then. It's part of just being out in the mountains as well, I suppose. I love everything else that's going around, you know, and not missing, say, board song or deer or, you know, mountain hares bolting out of their, their farms and stuff like that. There's always, always so much to pay attention to. And it would never even cross my mind that I'd need to listen to anything or switch off from it even. I love being switched on to it. Sure, sure. And I mean, like, say during the day, like, say during your, your normal civilian life, would yeah. you have a very busy life anyway? So, this is like your break away from the noise of work, of TV, of radio, of phones, or whatever. So, this is like your, your way to escape that. Again, not in particular. Um, I'd have a fairly quiet life. Be, I'm self employed and work, for, work on my own. So, yeah. quite often, I might spend a couple of full days without having contact with somebody during the walking day, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I just live with my two sons as well. So they might be on the computers or phones a lot of the time when I'm home as well. So I'd have a quiet, quiet enough life that way, you know, and I'd be used to solitude. Sure. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. So, so the, the training in the mountains is just nearly an extension of, of that way of living. Yeah. So again, it's, it's basically doing what you normally do, you yeah, know? So yeah, 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 when yeah. I'm out running, or if I'm going for a run, I'm eating the same as if I'm going to work. When I'm out there, the sort of interaction that I have is the same that I have on a normal day, kind of. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's an extension to what I do normally during the walking day. Yeah, but I, I, I imagine as well that when you are doing um, the Wicklow round, the back-to-back, um, I imagine that the levels of concentration would have been extremely high, Paul, as well. Um, navigating through those, in total, 52 mountain summits and 200 kilometres, I, I presume you have to be really attentive as, as you're trying to find your way down tracks and up summits and in, in tough yeah. terrain at times. That was one of the, the big focuses. Um, I suppose I spend a lot of time on, on the reccees and, and getting the route selection right. But then once you have all that done, the last few weeks, I tried to sort of switch into what I'm going to need mentally for the run. Um, and part of that is total switch on every minute of the time. It's so easy to lose a trail or take a, the wrong fork. Um, just you're, you're so tired. And you're out there on your own and your mind does tend to wander. So a big part of that final training would be to get used to just focusing, to be aware that you need to focus. You, you can't switch off. That any break in navigation could be fatal to the attempt because you're only on a slim margin as it is. And, uh, and then getting back to your previous point, then I do take gels Jordan around and they would be to keep that mental focus. Okay. So I don't take a lot of gels, but your brain will obviously need a certain amount, you know? Sure. Sure, um, sure. That no, would no. be the fight, the sort of um, the desire to stop when you're tired, when you're sleepy, you know. So you need that brain power, that willpower, and the gels yeah. will give you that kind of energy when you need it, yeah, but not yeah, fueling okay. the body as such. Sure, sure. Um, b- before we maybe go into more detail about the, the Wicklow round, um, Paul, what was it that got you into running in the first place? Because I think you came to it relatively late in life, maybe about five years ago, was it, that you got into the mountain running? Into the mountain running, I'd say about five, six years ago. And um, yeah, I was never into sport, either watching or participating <laughs> in it. Yeah. And I'm 50 next week, and I think it was 41, 42. Um, kept slipping a disc in me back, and... I went to the doctor, had a few procedures done, and they said before they went to operating that I should try swimming to strengthen up the core muscles, you know? Um, yeah. So I did that. Did a couple of lengths of the pool and wasn't fit enough to do anymore. So yeah. I just downloaded a Couch to 5K app, and I suppose like everybody else, just walked me way through that. And that wasn't particularly easy. That, that was horrible at times, just getting to 5K. Um thinking that the timing was wrong, that I had more time to walk and walk and the app was telling me to run, you know. But um, that was it. And I just found that I liked it once I got going after the 5K and went up towards the 10K, reached 10K for a good while. thought I'd never get past it. I thought that was my natural limit, if there was such a thing. Sure. And signed up for the Dublin Marathon season, then um, the series of races and walked towards that. And I suppose by the time it was coming close to the marathon, I knew I wanted to go forward on a marathon. I was enjoying that length of runs. Yeah, and obviously then just a natural talent that you found as well. Um, that it seems that you weren't breaking down with injuries. The, the longer the training, the longer the race was, the, the more comfortable you felt. Just exactly, this, yeah, it, this, this incredible mental and physical strength, Paul, as well. It was just, when you find something that you like doing, it's very easy to do it. 
and you you find the training then enjoyable as well so it's easy to do the training and I'd never been switched on to anything like that and I just I absolutely by accident fell into it and found that I loved it yeah 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 and so f- from what I can see y- you fell in love with the longer ultra um, trail running races as opposed maybe to the mass participation marathon road racing scene that for you um, your favorite type of racing was the, the long ultras and pretty much as you said beforehand racing and training in solitude where maybe you know the majority of people head towards the marathon the road races um, the the marathon race areas where again you, you went the, you went against the grain and and found your your niche in, in the mountains I think so. It was just, again, just purely by accident. After the the Dublin Marathon, I found Donna Day 50K. And then the Art O'Neill, the Art O'Neill was one of the crucial ones because you had to get a map and start going out into the mountains. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I did um, I did Connemara Ultra and the England Ultra. They would have been on road. But then I did Raw Ultra, which was down in Wicklow as well. And that was free route choice, um, 100K. And that was the real change, and that was the real turning point, I think, you know. Um, Just spend so much time finding your route and going places that you'd never think of going if you were just still doing train races. Sure, sure. And do you think, Paul, that one of the reasons why maybe you kept injury-free was... That I, I I doubt by listening to you that you are stretching for hours a day or you are doing loads of core work or strength work. By the sounds of it, you are just running slow and steady and long. And that's yeah. what has made you super strong. Now, at the beginning, um, when I was walking, say the first two years when I was just doing road, road races, well, I wasn't doing a lot of them, but I was, I was running on road. Yeah, I was getting the tightness. I was foam rolling. I was doing whatever stretches I could find online and stuff like that. And I'd yeah. be very good at, at reading, reading books, you know. Yeah. Um, but I was still getting repetitive injury in a calf tear where I had an injury. I cut my calf badly as a kid. So there's a lot of scar tissue there, you know, so there'd be a trigger yeah. point. But um, I have found that since I've gone off trail off road, I just don't get any injuries. I don't stretch. I don't do anything, you know, but <laughs> yeah. that ties again into my physical walk. I might spend a whole day bending, twisting, torn and lifting. So it complements the running then. Sure. Be- beats, um, beats, beats the office and uh, sitting in a chair all day. <laughs> it does. It gives me an advantage that way. Yeah. And I don't have to go to a gym or whatever for it, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, well, listen, Paul, moving on to the back-to-back Wicklow round, um, I, I think it's fair to say that you showed good form coming into 2020 because you had completed the unsupported midwinter um, Dennis Rankin round up in the Mourne Mountains, 39 mountains and 90k. So you were obviously in good shape at the turn of the year. So is that when you began to think about a back-to-back Wicklow round after the successful Dennis Rankin round? Um, well, I suppose it probably goes back to the summer round of 2016. Again, before I'd even attempted that, although I was training for, you know, you're in the hills and you're thinking about different variations that you might do. Yeah, I might finish this and I might go the other way or I might do two, you know. And then I ended up doing the winter and then the ranking over the years. But 
I suppose I've been round training just specifically for four, four and a half years now. And wow. Doing the Wicklow winter round the previous year and then the ranking one. And I came off both of them and didn't feel trashed, you know? Yeah. Um, and particularly this winter one, like, didn't feel trashed at all after, you know, and felt great. Wow. But, um, I had in my head I was going to try Liam Vines and Mike Jordan did one there last year, or Wicklow Glacier Lakes, which was open ground in Wicklow. So I'd have a try at that in the spring. And I sort of had the back of my head, the double, but I knew I couldn't get to the training volume that I'd like. You know, personal commitments, you know, yeah. holidays, yeah. when the sun said leave insert, breaks, festivals, gigs, stuff like that. So I just had her in the back of my head and I had her marked on a diary a weekend and sort of as a back of the head sort of goal. And um, then lockdown happened and that changed yeah. everything, I suppose, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that, I was in, felt in great shape. And as the years go on, I would say to myself, Jesus, I've never been in better shape than this because I've never really been in shape except for the last few years, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So um, when lockdown happened then, I wasn't getting to the mountains. But it freed up a lot of my time, freed up a lot of the spare time that I used to have. So found a farmer's field down the road and the golf courses and basically ran six hours at a time round in circles, trying to find wow. every lump, every bump in fields and golf courses. Wow. Incredible. And as you were doing that, you, you were you were getting fit and strong enough to to complete the, the greatest physical challenge that you've done to date. Um, probably totally totally the opposite way of training that you would have thought you would have had to have trained for it by recking maybe I suppose you, you probably had done so much recking over the years anyway that you didn't yep. need to go out to the trails as much as say maybe a first timer would now that you, you had a lot in your head already yeah you see I was very comfortable with the entire route very comfortable with the entire route even in darkness so um, zero visibility so I wasn't off put by it. I wasn't intimidated by it at all. I knew it was in the back of my head. Once I sort of went back over the route a couple of times, checked that was okay, checked that my navigation was okay. If I had the fitness, and then I knew this time around, with it being a double, the mentals game would come into a huge amount, you know, just to fight that fatigue, just to keep alert, just to keep going. So that became a bigger focus as well once I was doing the physical training because I knew I was coming into it okay. Training wise, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, how far do you prepare for the night running? Um, bad enough running through one night, but you would have ran through two nights. So is that actually something that you incorporate into your training? You mentioned, say, six hour runs. Are you doing any of those six hour runs or even longer during the night? in the weeks and months leading up to the actual event day or do you just save it all for the yeah. for the uh, for the for the attempt itself no typically i would now lockdown obviously changed things this time around but typically i wouldn't actually like night runs so okay. I, I would have a big loop down in wicklow from wicklow gap down to lugnaquilla and back around basically the bottom half of the wicklow round and i would typically do that over eight or nine hours of a night you know Okay, so so you're well used to running at night time. And that's it. It's just getting comfortable with all that. That Even when you go off course, you don't get worried. You don't get stressed. You can find a different route back in that, yeah? Yeah, just practice, practice and more practice. Yeah, and then 
what I would try to do usually would be leave the night reckeys till very close, maybe Jordan my taper, so that they're really fresh in your head then. Yeah, yeah. And f- for those night reckeys, Paul, like say during the day of your night recce, are you taking afternoon naps to get a bit of sleep back? Are you are you taking coffee just before you're, you're heading out during the night and then are you maybe sleeping the whole next day? How does the, the mechanics of those night recce training days work and the recovery involved? And as you said, um, doing all that with a family with a job, etc. How do, how does that work? No, I would like um, say if I was going for a night run, I would go to work as normal, come home, have the dinner, and then head down to Wicklow. <laughs> I might have a fifteen minutes news in the van after I get back to the van, and then drive home, have a few hours rest. It's just to try and program your body that this is the normal. Sure, you know, and yeah. you do, you slap back into things very quickly. But I was conscious, I think it was the winter round down in Wicklow a couple of years ago, the sleep deprivation did hit me quite a bit, and I took quite a few naps. Okay. Just going up mountains and that. So I thought that would be a problem this time around. So the plan was that I would try and trick my body so that if I was in any way sleepy at all as the sun went down in the nighttime, I'd have a nap maybe 10, 15 minutes, and then I'd have another nap as the sun was coming up to try and trick my body into thinking I'd had a night's sleep. Yeah, sure. So I did that. I felt a bit sleepy going up Scar on day one. So in the valley after that, I curled up in a ball and had to sleep for 15 minutes. Wow. And then when I got around, I'm not sure what time it was, the next day when I finished up at the mass path near Kapoor, um, I had a wash. And rejigged the whole bag, had something to eat, felt fresh, went to sleep again for 10 minutes, woke up and then did the finish run before I went out again. So that was a sort of trick so that I would think that I had to sleep and I felt like I was going out completely fresh again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, it worked. I never tried uh, it before, but it worked, you know. How many of those little 15-minute naps did you have over the over the 48 hours, just under the 48 hours, Paul? Was there just three or four you mentioned? Um, I had one for 15 minutes at SCAR and then I had a 10 minute nap right before I had the end. So I had 25 minutes sleep over the 48 hours. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, when you went back home then after that, um, did your body just sleep a standard seven, eight, seven or eight hours or did your body make up for it and you were <laughs> zonked out for a full 24 hours? How was that? Um, I, I, I fell asleep on the drive back almost from what I've been told. I don't really remember leaving the finish line. Um, I, I started coming down almost immediately once I finished, although I felt strong at the finish. Once I got to the finish, the body started saying, OK, it's it's time you can sleep now, you know. Yeah. So um, one, I don't remember getting into the car and I woke up in swords and I had a big mound of gunk in my mouth. And I said to him, I said, oh, my God, what's that? He says, you fell asleep eating a biscuit. <laughs> so I came in and Hazel had made me a massive dinner, roast chicken dinner, about three yeah. kilos of dinner. And I had half of that, went to sleep, and I got up about, I suppose, five hours later and went for a walk, came home, had the second half of the dinner and watched the telly until about half twelve that night. 
went to sleep and woke up without an alarm at about half nine the next day and then went to walk at lunchtime. So wow. the, I, I, I don't understand it a lot of the times, you know, but it just seems to, whatever I'm doing seems to work. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, Paul, tell us who Hazel is, because I read in one of your reports, um, you said very simply, Hazel gets it. <laughs> she's like your, you, you, she's your perfect teammate. So who, who's Hazel and, and how does she help you complete all these incredible challenges? I suppose Hazel has been there and we're, we're a couple, we're, I suppose, eight, nine, ten years now. Um, so we don't live together, but Hazel would take, when the kids were younger, my two boys live with me and Hazel has a daughter live with her. So yeah. Hazel would look after the boys if I was going on, say, night runs years ago and stuff like that, you know. But yeah. as always, she's known me from when I didn't run, you know. So okay. a lot of people that don't yeah. know me now from when I run, you know. Um, yeah. So she's been there and seen me. She's been at all the races, the marathon series, stuff like that, you know. And, of course, we go out and do our Wicklow walks or our morning walks as well. So she understands where I am and... She has the same enthusiasm for everything that I do that I have. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So what I would do is when I come back from a run, I keep a written training diary, you know. So I'd always write something about the wildlife and that. So, but I'd always be saying, "Can't wait to tell Hazel that I saw that," you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, it sounds like a great team. Um, people might might realise, Paul, that you did the the back to back Wicklow round unsupported um, can you just tell us what that exactly means um, for people maybe who aren't fully aware of, of the details and, the, and the, the rules if you like around the, the Wicklow round it can be supported or unsupported so what does unsupported mean well I'm not really sure technically what it might mean for verification of that but for me I suppose I was reading somebody else's Wicklow round report years ago and they made reference to an attempt that had been made by somebody unsupported and I was new to the whole concept and it just made sense to me that you just carry everything into the mountain so to me what I mean is that if I don't have it the minute I leave the start I don't have access to it until I finish so gear no change of clothes except what I carry with me no food no help off anybody at all anywhere along the way you know yeah, so yeah, if yeah. it's not in the backpack and not on me, I don't have access to it. Sure. So sure, sure. No I, I, change I of no food I, off I, anybody. Drink from the uh, rivers and stuff like that, you know. And your backpack can be anything from maybe what four and a half kgs for the summer attempts to up to yep. six and a half kgs for the for the winter rounds. Six and a half was too much. Okay. Six and a half. So four and a half I would have to, in the back of my head has been the maximum. And yeah. what I would do is I I always have a backpack with me when I'm running anyway, you know. Um, yeah. And if I'm running out in any kind of rough weather, I'd have a lot of safety gear with me, you know, change of clothes, foil blankets, foil sleeping bags. I'd even have a stove and a pot and some noodles with me sometimes, you know. Yeah, um, sure. So I'm quite used to carrying the backpack. Um, but this time around then... I think two weeks beforehand, I loaded up the backpack for just an evening run with the exact weight I was hoping to carry, four and a half kilos. And it was going all over the back on me. But okay. then I think the week beforehand, I loaded her up exactly with the exact gear 
in the exact pouches and laid in the way it would be. And it felt good, it felt grand, you know. And then on the morning of the attempt, I had it loaded up. And I stood in the bedroom, put the pack on, and it just felt good. It felt really good, you know. Yeah. It was sort of nearly like a comfort in it. So that was 4.7 kilos when I headed out. And I remember running up the bog road towards Kapoor and thinking to myself, this feels good. That's your life jacket for the day now, you know? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, and you mentioned, you know, some of the some of the highs and lows over the, the, the back-to-back. Um, what was the feeling like, Paul, as you as you sprinted home? If anybody um, checks out the video there, just online, you, you sprinted home over the last hundred meters <laughs> a, after after two hundred kilometers. Um, what's going through your mind um, as you're getting to the finish line, knowing that you're the first person to do the back-to-back two hundred kilometer fifty-two mountain summit <laughs> Wicklow Wicklow round? Well, I suppose the first day. The first day was just an absolutely dream day of running in the mountains. Everything just alerted every bit of wildlife, alerted my body and just feeling better than I expected at all, you know. And I actually decided on Kapoor to pay attention to everything for the day and remember everything. And then the second day, the second day was just get the work done. You need to concentrate. And my whole mantra the whole day was stay focused. This is what you can do. This is what you need to do. Don't switch off the whole day long. Even talking out loud to myself and having conversations with my legs, thanking them for what they were doing. They don't need a little bit more to do, you know. And um, then it actually only hit me as I was coming down the mass path towards the finished road section. I was coming down there and I just thought, I'm out there running double round. And I said it out loud and I laughed to myself. (laughs) It was like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I got onto the road section, and it's not a nice finish, really. You know, you're running slight uphill on the road for, I think, a kilometre or so. So I decided I could walk up there at loads of times, or I could shuffle up there. And I just decided, no, get some good form and actually run properly up the road. And a few days, maybe a week beforehand, I'd said to Ethan and Caelan, because we'd raced the finish of a couple of races before, a couple of 100Ks, you know, they'd run the last 100 metres with me at that, you know. And I'd said to them, there was a, a bog barrier up the road, about 100 metres, 200 metres from the end. And I said, have you seen me there? I says, if I'm in any, any sort of good condition, I says, I'll race you to the end. And they had said, um, no, how are we going to race you after two days? We're obviously going to win and we can't do that to you after you're running for two days. He says, we'll run with you, and you touch the barrier first. And I said to them, not a chance. I said, if you're going to race me, you're going to race me. So uh, yeah. when they met me at the barrier, I just said to them, I said, look, I says, I'm not stopping. If I stop, I won't start again. So we were running up and chatting. And then I don't know how far I was from the end of about 100 meters. I just turned around to him and just said, race on and legged it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, brilliant. Yeah. And there's one thing that I want to emphasize, Paul, as well, that you're very conscious of safety as well and that it's not just you know rocking up doing doing 100 kilometers 26 mountain summits that you've planned this for months even years and i read in some of your reports that you even go as far to check where the nearest houses are in case of emergency you've you've got simon keddy who who chats us at the start of the show with our race updates simon's there on hand as well he's trained in mountain 
and rescue. Um, so may, maybe just talk to us about how important that is as well. It is. And I think a few years ago, it really came home to, I would be going out for long runs. And because I run on my own and because I run at night a lot of the time, um, Hazel would be conscious of worrying about where I was. So we use a view ranger app for a start and Hazel would track me on that, on the buddy beacon. And then what we do is, and when I'm on a long runs or night runs, I would text Hazel periodically and say, 2am, Lugnaquilla, all good. And she checked the buddy beacon, you know. So we're just used to doing things that way, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and, and then Simon, of course, is there as well. Like, I, you know, Simon was saying that I think for was it for this one that he was the only person who could pull the plug. That he knows you so well, and you trust him so well as well, that he was the person that could say, "No, it ends here," or "No, it's okay. He can keep on going." Exactly. Yeah, and uh, we had a little situation in a summer round going back a couple of years ago where. Me and Hazel had missed a meeting point. There was a bit of confusion and darkness had come down. I was behind schedule and Hazel got on to Simon and Simon was okay. He said, give him another hour, probably just a change route because of change of darkness. So that's sort of calm and collected. He's just, he knows the mountains. He knows mountain rescue. He doesn't panic and he knows me and he knows that I might hit a low spot or he'd be comfortable enough knowing my low spot that it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And then he'd yeah. be familiar with mountain conditions and know that there's less panic under different mountain conditions, under different weather conditions. Yeah, yeah. And I read as well, I mean, that you that you yourself, you, you read up on hyperthermia, um, you trained in cold conditions, so you're coming in fully prepared as well. Yeah. Um, I would do some, look, I train on my own, so I would come up with some of these crackpots times you know so <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I might go out training for four or five hours in the rain in autumn just to get freezing cold just yeah, to yeah, touch yeah. on high game you just and be shivering for half a day afterwards and that you know i would train to complete fall down exhaustion at times i would train to dehydration um, and it's just to get familiar with what it feels like sure and not incredible panic. yeah yeah and it's in some strange way you give the impression that you enjoy it. I probably, yeah, you, I do. I, yeah, 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 yeah. I do. Yeah, I, yeah. I love that there's always more potential there if you can tap into it. And I suppose it's been willing to to train that little bit unusually, I suppose, you know, and not be afraid of it. Um, yeah. No matter what you do, and I suppose even with the, the challenges, no matter how terrible you feel in them, you have to keep in mind that this time next week you're going to be okay. This time next week, you're not going to be deterred. This time next yeah. week, you're not going to be sore. Brilliant, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to throw a quote back at you, Paul, as well, from one of your great reports. And if anybody gets a chance to read your Wicklow Round reports or your Dennis Rankin Round reports, you're a lovely writer. And one of the <laughs> quotes that you, that you took yourself from, Ernest Hemingway, it is good to have an end to journey towards, but it is the journey that matters in the end. And I'm sure that rings true for for what you've done. It really does. It's the memories that you make over the weekends or the days or whatever it might be. And there's always tons of them. It does come down to more than times or running. It's so many experiences 
and that's what it's about you know you'll get to the end but what do you take away from it after that and that's why I actually like when I do get a chance to sit down and write a report because even a year later for me they bring back my memories again and that I might have forgotten you know and do forget yeah sure sure yeah. well, well listen before the the last question Paul just to say it's asked me wonderful talking to you about it i've got goosebumps here listening to you talking <laughs> about your training your preparation and then going out and and, and executing and um, the, the wicklow round back to back and just the last question that i had paul was after you've done all that you've done the dennis ranking you've done the the wicklow round back to back what's up next for you anything else in ireland or are you thinking anything internationally or what, what do you have in mind First off, internationally, not really because the amount of time and, I suppose, difficulty of getting reckies in on anything that I would like doing internationally, which would be round, say, in the British Isles. But um, I'm happy enough to keep running here in Ireland. There's, there's plenty of challenges here. Um, I would have in the back of my head always a few challenges, say, the Mon 500s, Cassie's Challenge, um, or Wicklow Glacier Lakes. I'd like to have a crack at that next year with a lot of reckies done on that as well. And then just from my own work as well, looking at maps and stuff like that, I've three years work on into planning around down in Kerry and a little inkling of around for Connacht as well. So there's years worth of work there to be done and years worth of running. But the big one that I would like to get of all the prep done would be the round I have planned down in Kerry. Um, yeah. So I'd like to finish the recce's on that and have a crack at that next year if everything works. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, the ground down there is very, very tough. There's not much on trail or anything like that. So that'd be the challenge. Yeah. And listen, Paul, we look forward to uh, maybe the book coming out one day as well. As I said, you're a beautiful <laughs> writer. And uh, I suspect you, I know from you saying, from talking to you earlier on, you were saying that the book might be harder work than the actual rounds themselves, but they'd be fascinating stories to read about. And, uh, you know, m- maybe one day. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, at there's loads of people involved, you know, Ethan, Caleb, Simon, Don, you know, there's loads of people involved help out at different times, you know, so there's yeah. more to it than me. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thanks a mil. And I'm sure everybody that's listening in will find it a fascinating story. So congratulations again, Paul, on that wonderful achievement, the back-to-back Wicklow round, and we look forward to hearing about all your adventures in the future. You're very welcome, Mom. Thanks. Lovely talking to you. And that's a wrap for episode eight, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Paul. An incredible guy, such determination, such strength. Um, As I was saying during the interview, I literally had goosebumps um, on my arms listening to him talking about the preparation, the training, how strong the guy has become from just slow, steady running over the years. And um, he really has got the most out of himself physically and mentally and great support 
that he has from Hazel as well. It, it was a lovely story to hear. Um, anybody that might have any injury issues at the moment, make sure you go back and listen to Jason again. Jason Kyo, anybody that's in the Dublin area, Jason is based over in Tala. He's an actually absolutely super guy, great running pedigree as well. And um, anybody with any little niggles, give Jason a shout and he'll help get you healthy as well. Um, some of the techniques that he uses and that he teaches you how to use as well, such as the soft tissue release, etc. Um, really, really helpful in keeping you upright and make sure that you get to the start line or whatever race that you might be preparing for. Before we go, a shout out as always and a thank you to our podcast sponsor, Eco Trail Wicklow on September 26th. Really looking forward to that day as well. Everybody, have a great week's training. Enjoy everything out in the mountains. Make it all count, guys, every step. Get your running gear on. Let's go. Let's go.